I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Well, here we are. Back from holiday. Back from holiday, but I like really enjoy getting settled back into my my own home and my own routine, which which doesn't really bring you any joy. I just get sad that my real life isn't like holiday life. I think this will divide along the lines of depressives and non-depressives. Don't you think my personality is better on holiday though? It's um, this is not an exaggeration. It's as though you've taken a pill. It's like you've um disappeared into another person. But it's disturbing. I don't understand why you don't just prefer my holiday personality, though. I mean, oh, I a hundred percent prefer it. It's wonderful. But you sat there going, "I should have this shit eleven and a half months out of the year instead of a half a month out of the year." <laughs> the answer is more holidays. Oh my gosh! Do you think this is a good moment to plug the Patreon? <laughs> Listen, if everyone who listens gave us three pounds a month, we could take an extra holiday in the year. What I want you to understand is I'm this lady and my husband's moodiness just when he's on a holiday. And I think we all know that I deserve that an additional week. I'm saying to you people, if you all join together, what are you going to do? Give that fucking money to like some hungry child? No, you're going to give it to me because it makes my husband nicer. (laughs) We should say who our guest is, and it's something that was very much on our minds on holiday. So, Jim Field Smith, see what my body is doing right now? It's really reacting in an excited way, (laughs) is only the co-creator and director of High Tech. Our first quick watch is one that we watched together. When we watched it in the morning, like filthy fuckers so i've got no problem with watching tv during the day whereas you you feel dirty when you do it i have been raised to believe that tv in the daytime is what you do if you're a fucking filthy slut so the show in question is painkiller on netflix it's about the opioid crisis in the united states and it stars matthew broderick now i have to say i don't understand by and large when people watch a show because of the actor Look at any actor, even the best actors, look at their CVs and there are stinkers in there. But I do just feel warmly towards Matthew Broderick because Ferris Bueller. Oh my gosh. And I feel warmly toward him because at my first ever restaurant job in New York, I was a coat check girl and I managed to fuck up the coat check. So stressful, so terrible. And so Matthew Broderick was in the restaurant with Sarah Jessica 
And I remember knowing that he felt bad for me. He was clearly sat there being like, oh, this poor like teenage girl in this fancy restaurant who's like fucked up. And that is such a high level of empathy. So do you think we would have even pressed play on this show if it hadn't been for the fact that Matthew Broderick's in it? Let me be very real with everybody. My magic words, opioid crisis. <laughs> and I got no idea why. What is it you're drawn to? I, I, Jeff, I, I don't know. I don't like watching people suffer. I don't like watching lives be ruined. Is it doctors prescribing? Is it reps from drug companies? I is it Big Pharma? You like I Big Pharma? I think I like Big Pharma. And I, <laughs> like, if, if I see a podcast, it's like the opioid crisis. I'm like, yep. Like, I always want <laughs> opioid crisis. And I don't know. I think part of it is I, I, I feel... It's like, a oh, there's something satisfying to me about seeing doctors be naughty boys. And these- I said, but do you think naughty boys understates it? Oh, yes. It's also interesting that you um, you gender doctors as men. I know, I know, I know. That's my mom's fault. I just that <laughs> so, just, let me just get that out there. But you don't like watching grimy addiction. You, you don't want to see someone on a piss-stained mattress injecting no. heroin. No, but clean Hollywood does opioids? Oh my God. And I have to say, it's not very good. And I feel bad saying that because each episode starts with a real life family member of somebody who lost their lives because of an opioid addiction introducing the episode. And it felt like it was the TV makers going, oh, if we just put these people in, then we're like totally fine. <laughs> no one's going to say anything like, bad about yeah, it. Yeah, no one's going to say anything bad about it. It's like, don't worry that we're using like a story, and but making it sort of like entertaining for Hollywood. It, it, it's like, it was simultaneously, I thought, not not constantly, but at many points, eye-rollingly bad. But I couldn't stop watching it. So it's not a piece of shit. So if you're like me, and someone says opioid crisis, and you go, yes, please, <laughs> but only if it's not too dark. This is the show for you. <laughs> Our second quick watch, we double quick watch this week together as a couple while fucking on the couch in the morning. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Um. So last week when we spoke to Jack Thorne, and Jack was like, just watch Chrissy's episode from Boys from the Black Stuff. So I thought... You know what I should do? I'll watch this one episode. So you then, I said, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna watch that thing that Jack said to watch. And you were like, oh my God, I'm so jealous. And I was like, well, you can watch it with me. Like we can do it together. Because it's some of my favorite TV of all time. This is very interesting. You say that, but I've never heard you mention it. I, I don't think of you as, oh, my wife who likes a bit of gritty social realism <laughs> uh, 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 during the Thatcher years in the north of England. I, I've learned over the years to keep my mouth shut That's about that fine. stuff. Anyway, I decided that I should watch this thing. It was one episode that made it feel so doable to me. And we got to fire up BritBox, which we don't do very we often. F- Fired up the old Brit box. Th- that makes me feel dirty. Never mind watching TV during the day. Just just Brit opening box. Brit box. Mm, open up your Brit box. Ooh. It sounds like Nigel Farage's masturbation fantasy. <laughs> Here are my two big things that I feel need to be said. Mm-hmm. There was some of it that I, I that had to do with strikes and minors. And I you don't know, think there were no minors in it. 
Boys from the Black Sabbath. I thought they were supposed to be miners. No, they lay the tarmac on the roads. Oh, That's the black stuff. Oh, the black, there are no mines. Just... There are no mines. <laughs> I was like, they're talking about black stuff. So I assume someone's going into a mine and like he's going to die. <laughs> okay, so I wasn't. Okay, so anything that had to do with laying the black stuff was like so far over my head. I was so confused. And now to the thing where I couldn't understand the British accents. I understand British accents, but there would be different points where I just have to pause and say to Jeff, like, I no, no clue what's happening here. And he would say, oh, it's this and this. There was this marital dynamic that was sort of the the center of it. So the series, for anyone who doesn't remember it, each episode focuses on a, a, a different member of this crew. And Chrissy is a man who is one of those crew who has been laid off. So his marriage is very much at the center of his episode. And his wife... Is Julie Walters in the 80s looking fucking hot. That is like my dream body and aesthetic. There was a way that these ladies dressed in the 80s. Like they were just doing things with like jumpers and jeans, just a simple jumper and jeans. Oh, she looks fabulous. And like with that big old hair, that's like a halo. So great. Anyway, their, the way that their dialogue is written, and I've thought about this statement, it's not an overstatement. The way that that dialogue is written is as good as most of the writing in succession. It's, it's brilliant. It's at that level. Like it's in some of those Tom and Shiv scenes where you're like, this shit is insane. Or, or like Ingmar Bergman's yes. same scenes from a marriage. Yes. These three things belong together. Scenes from a marriage, Tom and Shiv and Chrissy and whatever his wife's name is. I don't remember anymore. So that shit you were watching and going, this is nuts. Unbelievable. And I see why it's amazing. And I get it. I get it. I get it. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I got it. But bottom line, I'm a modern lady, <laughs> I'm an American girl, I'm a hot young thing, okay? It was too slow, it looked too 1980s, but not 1980s like I'm fucking used to. Because I should say that Sarah is from the suburb of Chicago where all those 80s films like Ferris Bueller's Day Off and yes. The Breakfast Club and um, Home Alone and all that stuff was set. That is what the 80s looks like to you, yes. not uh, a terraced house in Liverpool ravaged by unemployment. No, 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 no. Thank let, you. let me ask you a question. Yeah. How old do you think you were? the first time you interacted with a working class person who wasn't serving you in some way. Working class? Our next door neighbors, the Morninis, were working class. Because for all my yammering on about how fucking rich I grew up, I didn't really. So we were in like one of the not nicer streets. Yeah, no, you're from the wrong side of the tracks with your uh, psychotherapist mom and your book editor father. You can make fun of me, but but you've been to my town. And that is, by by the standards of the town that I grew up, I did literally grow up on the wrong side of the tracks. Like, like to, to be fair, you could only get probably only three cars on the driveway of your parents' house. But we never had three cars. We had two. Just the two. Just the two. So actually, watching Boys from the Black stuff that was familiar to you then? No, I'm not saying that, but I was just trying to answer your question in an <laughs> okay, honest way. Okay. Now, Sarah would like to say a word about... Just and Just a quick word. Just, just a quick word about... And just like that. This, this is so quick. Quick. This is the quickest of the quicks, just real fast, okay? I know mostly no one is watching, no one who's in our world. So I don't understand how alone I am or I'm not. I really need to speak with someone about this. In a recent episode, so I just watched, I think it was episodes eight and nine together because I just got back from holiday. One of the plot lines was Charlotte is going back to work at a gallery and she's just a little bit bigger than she's ever been before because she's going through menopause. So she puts on all these spanks. It's a whole plot line. She gets to the gallery and then a large woman enters who is jolly. My understanding is 
We need to stop with jolly, large women. It's just, it's not a helpful stereotype. She, it's very clear to us, the viewer, that she embraces her body. And they walk up the stairs together. And then it cuts to Charlotte in the bathroom, taking off all the spanks. And I was like, hold on. I'm real sorry. Are we watching a scene where because a fat woman doesn't hate herself, Charlotte is going to be allowed to love her, quote unquote, much better body? I think it was like maybe the most problematic thing that's ever happened on this show to date. I don't know. Maybe like all the unbelievable kind of cringe race stuff that they were doing in the beginning of the first season. Maybe I forgot. I I don't know. What the race stuff felt like was, we're trying to correct a problem. Whereas this felt like fat phobia, fat stereotypes, presented as embracing a body positivity moment. Right. Did everyone else feel like they were dying? And I felt fucking like so baited and switched because I was so into the storyline otherwise. And then it was like, oh no, you're going to do your worst moment. I was just starting to be like, okay, I'm all right, bitches, I'm back. And then you fucking did this shit. Anyway, the finale is coming up. My life will be empty without it. We'd love to hear from you. The email address is... Fuck off at firecrouchandnormcore.com. I want to know, how normal is this to be watching something obsessively at the same time as knowing it's terrible? I think that must be kind of common. Also, I'd be interested to hear if you are somebody who watches something because of an actor. What is it that you just like looking at their face? Also, are you like Sarah... Will you watch something just because it's in a particular genre, like you in the opioid crisis? Oh, the opioid crisis. My friend Malik will um, will watch anything set on a submarine. Fucking submarines, though, right? <laughs> Oy vey. One of my oldest friends, her boyfriend, now her husband, I don't know why I said her boyfriend, it's been like her husband for 25 years, used to just go off. He He worked in the military for a while, and he would have to go off on submarines, and he couldn't tell her. And so I would, like, go to see her, and, and he would... It would be like her boyfriend was underwater and unlocatable. Isn't that crazy? I haven't thought about that in so long that I would not cope. I I look on your Find My iPhone, I mean, constantly. Imagine if you were just underwater. I couldn't live. I would I would have to I would have to medicate the entire time. <laughs> so yeah, is there a genre that you will always watch? And of course, your recommendations and your thoughts on our thoughts on things that we've watched and recommended at the email address. Fuck off at firecrouchandnormcore.com. As we mentioned, coming up later, we are talking to co-creator and director of Hijack on Apple TV Plus, Jim Field Smith. So do you think his mom is Field and his dad was Smith? Like, what do you think his kids are named? I don't know. I've got what do these people with... with their hyphenates do? Where does it go? Yeah, I know. You can't keep hyphenating, can you? You can't keep hyphenating. That's all I'll say. And as we said about Hijack last week, you might have heard it mentioned and thought, nah, it's not for me, but it's really good. It is the next amazing thing in your life. You are a duty pants if you don't start watching it. I'm not going to convince anyone. They don't fucking need it. You're stupid if you don't give yourself this gift. I'm such a good saleswoman, but I really mean it. Well, since you're such a good saleswoman, why don't you uh, t- tell everyone about the Patreon? I've been waiting for this my whole life. Listen to me. Our Patreon, we are up and fucking moving. I've sent my first voice note. If you are giving us five pounds or more, you're getting a voice note from me every month. So if you have signed up to that Patreon. Every week. Every week, motherfucker. 
It's Fridays with Fire Crotch, bitches. Sometime between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m., I'm just going to send you on your mobile phone a little voice note from me to you. So you should really sign up for the Patreon. You can do that at Patreon backslash they like to watch. Go on. Is it a forward slash? Yes. It's the same shit. I think just, just say slash or stroke. Stroke sounds like when you're doing your dicky dicky. Slash sounds like a piss. Oh, or, only or to worse, British people. Only to British people. Like something you do with a knife. Stroke. They like to watch. Give us your money so that I, a lovely lady in the north of London, can have two holidays a year so that Jeff can be in his holiday mode. It just makes my life a little bit brighter. Mm. I'm in the second half of my life, presumably, now, and I'm just trying to like live a happier life. And happy husband, happy life. You know, that's the shit that no one says, but that's what's true. Is this part of you being an excellent salesperson? No, I'm just trying. Yes, actually, it is because I'm being honest about myself. Patreon.com stroke they like to watch. All right, we've decided to get on board with the third series of Only Murders in the Building. We watched the first season and I think we really enjoyed it. It's a fun show but it did feel a bit like they told that story really well across that first season and and for me anyway it felt like it fell off a cliff a little bit all of a sudden it went from being this unlikely friendship in this apartment building in new york with some people who decide to make a podcast about a murder to being all this like secret tunnels and long lost daughters and i just didn't enjoy the second series very much No, but we thought everyone is now talking about season three, so let's give it a go. The great thing about this show is it's somewhere you want to be. It's set in what I think is like our our retirement fantasy. Yeah, like it's where I could move and want to to live and die. Which is an apartment building in New York, but a high-end one. But it's it's not even just high-end, It's it's full of characters, it's full of New York life. So I think think it's based on this real building, which is the Apthorpe, which I know about because Nora Ephron wrote about it in this essay in like the mid-naughties. I'm a reader. It's not a big deal. <laughs> um, and so it's a city block. So I think it's like 12 stories high and it says long as a city block on the Upper West Side. And it is just the ultimate new york fantasy and and the show really plays on that the the opening titles are fantastic but they look like a new yorker cover oh and the music is so atmospheric i was just gonna say atmospheric it's very atmospheric i don't know that we would do too well in a building like that imagine having to speak to a doorman every time you went in no i think well you would be fine because you can keep those interactions short but i i would feel the need to try and get some small talk going out of politeness what do you think your go-to topics would be well, this is it. This is my life. Like I'll go to the shop across the road and I've got nothing to say. I've been doing very well with my small talk at the shop, but only since the new edition and you know who I'm talking about. Uh, there's a young man who's working there now. Okay. So the other night my friend was over. So I say to her, I will pay for the wine, but I'm not getting off, off my sofa. You go buy the wine with my money. She goes across the street. She buys the wine. She comes back. She goes, the guy who works across the road is very eccentric. I go, was he younger? She goes, Yeah. And she said that she bought the bottle of wine and she's very pretty. And he said to her, one girl, big night, no good. (laughs) So that became the theme of the night. One girl, big night, no good. Anyway, he and I do very well. 
I think I could do great with a doorman. I think it would be worth it to get to live in that apartment. And what about being in the lift with other residents? Picture being in the lift is like walking up and down the road. You don't get into it with people. But there's there's a brevity of interaction when you're passing somebody on the street that when you're confined in a space for 30 seconds, it's you're not afforded that luxury. I'm in this headspace right now where like I'm sort of half incredibly annoyed with you for being able to find a bad thing about a beautiful fantasy. But then <laughs> on the other hand, I feel kind of grateful because I think you're kind of making some good points. So just on the off chance, you, you don't know anything about this show. Steve Martin is one of the co-creators and one of the three leads, the other two being Selena Gomez and Martin Short, who I adore. I think Martin Short is one of these people who is about as famous as you can be without being Tom Cruise in America. But over here, I don't know that people know his name so much. They, They might know him from Three Amigos or Father of the Bride, whereas in the States he's very well known. Yeah, so he's probably not as famous as Steve Martin, but almost. Like, I think of them as... Yeah, and that's that's not the case here at all. Oh my... He is... He. This is his deal. Ready? He can't be bad. I have never seen Martin Short be anything other than amazing. Do you remember Jerry Seinfeld made a documentary called Comedian about 20 years ago? Yeah, it's one of my favourite films. On the extras to the DVD, he was interviewed by Martin Short, is this uh, character he used to do called Jiminy Glick. And it was just some of the funniest stuff I'd ever seen. There's been a lot of talk about how Selena Gomez is a revelation in this role. Mm. I don't agree with that statement. I think... Her flavor is unique. And I think what is kind of amazing is that you'd have to be the third leg of the table alongside Steve Martin and Martin Short. Because not... they've done loads of stuff together. They tour together. It's a whole, They do a whole thing. They're in Father of the Bride together, which everyone should watch Father of the Bride. It's such a piece of shit film. But they're so funny together in it. And of course, it has Kieran Culkin when he's like five years old. It's a much watch for everyone. Anyway, I can't quite get on board with the idea that Selena Gomez is a revelation. I think she's good considering she's a pop star and good considering she's like among comedy royalty. And there are some incredible guest stars as well. There is um, uh, Meryl Streep, who people will know from Mamma Mia, and, uh, and Paul Rudd, who is so funny in it. I know. I mean, I'm a big Paul Rudd fan. But if you're going to watch the first episode, look out for this and see if you agree with me. I feel like he has been watching the Netflix sketch show. I think you should leave with Tim Robinson because there is a scene in that episode where I feel like he's just straight up doing an impersonation of him. And it's really funny, but it's that guy's note completely. Do you want to explain the character he plays in this season? Yes. So we we, we move into the world of theatre. I think my in- two favourite places to be like in a television setting, a rich person opioid crisis or Broadway. <laughs> I think like those are my two happy places. So Paul Rudd is playing a Hollywood star who is appearing in a Broadway play. We try and avoid spoilers, but something I want to mention is Paul Rudd's character has a stalker. Mm-hmm. We see inside the stalker's apartment and he has a pair of this actor's pants. Underpants, you mean? Yes, in like a Ziploc bag, a plastic bag. Yeah. And that reminded me. Oh, God. I um, I once went to the house of uh, a journalist called Hunter Davis, who wrote the authorised Beatles biography, 
which came out in 1968. And he opened a filing cabinet and pulled out an almost identical looking plastic bag in which were a pair of swimming trunks. And Paul McCartney had been to visit him on holiday in Portugal and had left his swimming trunks behind. And instead of sending them back, he he kept them in a plastic bag and he now has them in a filing cabinet in his front room. That is so insane. Did he seem a little creepy already or did he become creepy after having heard that detail? It wasn't that he seemed creepy. It's that he seemed like this crazy archivist, like a hoarder almost. Right. So It It, wasn't wasn't that it was something that had been touching uh, a Beatles scrotal area. I don't think I've ever been surprised by a hoarder. (laughs) You know. You never like, oh, you didn't seem like the type to save someone's underpanties. Yeah. Okay. So I have a question. Yes. Is it okay for us to be talking about Selena Gomez's face? I think it's probably not. I think the world's probably moved on a bit from that. Ideal. Can I talk about what I would do for myself personally if I were to do some certain things for my So, so this is about the fact that Selena Gomez has had some surgery and that's got you thinking about what, what you might do if you had Selena Gomez's means. Let's leave her out of it. Yeah, let's okay. discuss her means. Yes. If I had her means, I would just spend it differently. Go on. First, under eyes, then tummy tuck, then bingo wings. Now, fourth edition, I think I do a little gobble gobble removal. Oh, Sarah. Do we hate ourselves or what? I hate myself, but I don't have a plastic surgery list. Well, I just think you should start with doing shoulder rolls and that would help your posture. And I think, I genuinely think that's all you need is postural help. Like, I don't want you developing one of those humps. I'm not hump shaming anyone who has one. (laughs) I think your hump probably looks great on you, but I don't want one for my husband. Sorry. Anyway, to summarise, I'm feeling optimistic about Series 3. These first two episodes I thought were really good. And I think it's a real return to form. There you go. Let us know what you think. Do you completely disagree? Do you think Series 2 was the best season of Only Murders in the Building? Do you feel that Selena Gomez is actually amazing? Also, any other examples of lulls in shows where you might otherwise give up on it, but, oh no, you stick with it because Series 5... That's when it gets really good. Do you want to give your um, your controversial f- opinion that you have on this where you really like being different to everyone else? What is it? The Wire. So <sighs> everyone sort of says like that the docks is the slow season and you love to go, the docks was my favorite season. Well, I, I love anything with dockers. dockers. It's back to boys from the black stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, dockers, yeah. Dockers, tarmacers, navvies, laborers, teamsters, stevedores. Trade unions, shop stewards. I love out like that, me. Boring, boring, <laughs> boring. Give me Broadway and opioids. The email address. Fuck off at firecartonnormcore.com. And coming up next, we were so delighted to get to speak to him because this show is such a phenomenon. And we're so grateful that he found the time to talk to us. Do you think he's very rich? Yeah. Not like an oligarch. No, but like with a show like Hijack, when it goes this well, how rich does that make someone? I think this show has done well. He had this show Criminal, which had various iterations. He's done a bunch of commercials. I think he's directed some films. I think, you know, that um, hierarchy of needs. His needs are met. Yeah, he, he's he's past that first level. Shit, yeah. Fucking hot. Yeah. That's all I want to be. I just want to be past that first level. We just want to never worry about money again. Is that a problem for you? No. <laughs> Join our Patreon. Thanks. And Jim Field Smith coming up next to talk about hijack. Say like too much. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Have you have you heard from anyone telling you that you've sort of like ignited? A fear of flying in them? I haven't heard from anyone who's said that it's um, ignited a fear of flying, but certainly there are people that are anxious of flying already that have said they're not sure whether they're going to watch it or not. Um, but then equally, I've heard from people who've said, oh, I've, I've saved up all seven episodes to watch because uh, I've got to get on a long flight tomorrow. What goes on with this with people? That, that I, And I that sounds a little critical, which I think is probably how I mean it. But what do you make of people who want to watch stuff about scary shit that happens on an airplane while they're on an airplane? Isn't that just the purest form of why people might like the show in the first place, I suppose, in that it taps into a kind of primal fear. So I suppose you're kind of... You're getting the 3D version, aren't you, if you watch it on a plane. But what about the person sitting next to you? I don't think it'll be many airline's choice of in-flight entertainment. <laughs> we, we were on um, a plane yesterday on the way back from holiday and we were looking at all the other passengers trying to suss out which ones might be hijackers and which ones look like they might be have-a-go heroes as well. Yeah, that's kind of how it all began, really, in that George, my business wife, um, was on a Eurostar, which became stuck in the tunnel for a considerable amount of time. And in that window, he was looking around at everyone in his carriage thinking, I wonder what that person would do. If this goes on for another hour, I wonder if that person over there is going to crack or if that person... So that was kind of the initial seed of the whole thing. What do you think you would do? I'd probably just go and sit as close to Idris Elba as possible if he was on the plane. (laughs) Same. Uh, Has Idris Elba ever given you like a a full body embrace? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (gasps) Although it's a bit like however tall you are, you feel small next to Idris. And he kind of wraps you up and picks you off the ground <laughs> like a toddler. <laughs> does uh, does he? Swear to God, we're not going to make this entirely about Idris Elba, but I've got to get my questions in. Does he smell very wonderful? Somebody once told me that they knew Idris Elba was in a room with them before they saw him. 
because they could smell it. <gasps> and um, isn't it you just know that that's not bad. You know that's a good aroma that he Oh bringing. yeah, no, it's not it wasn't a sort of pungent. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like tracking an animal downwind, you know. It was a pleasant experience. Can I tell you what I've been saying to people to convince them to watch this show? Because it's what somebody said to me and I can't make sense of it so maybe you can help me make sense of it what i've been saying to people is you've got to watch this show it's on apple tv it's called hijack it stars idris elba but it's so much better than you think it's going to be why am i feeling the need to explain it in those terms yeah i think that's fair i mean uh, you know it's a high concept idea if i was being harsh on ourselves i would say it's kind of a b-movie conceit what we would try to do was something different with it we didn't want it to be purely about the plot and about violence and about taking over an airliner. And what we didn't want to do was have a protagonist who was kind of a former special forces operative or has some kind of magical skill. So I suppose that was one of the big subversions for us was like, it's not just a, I'm going to start killing these guys one by one. It was, I'm going to get under the skin of these people and, and bring them down that way. I think the secondary subversion, which sort of speaks to what you said, is the Idris thing, right? So because it's Idris, certainly in the first episode, you're expecting there's going to be this moment where he kind of kicks into action or, you know, reveals that he's a cop or whatever. And we had fun with that because we knew that would be people's expectations coming into it. And then the third subversion, I suppose, was in the nature of the hijacking itself, i.e. who the hijackers are and what they're after. Watching this show is one of these things where if Jeff started talking during the show, I'd be like... I missed a word. And one of the things he kept interrupting with was ranking the likability of the hijackers. That's so lovely to hear, actually, because we wanted to show that actually they were people too. Who was your favorite? This is his dream question, by the way. We've designed this interview so you would ask him that, (laughs) basically. I thought I thought the head hijacker, uh, Neil Maskell's character, I thought, oh, he is the likable one. He's yeah. a grown-up. He lives in a difficult and violent world, but he's a reasonable man. But then when he started Dude. all that say cheese business, I thought, I'm not sure about you anymore. Yeah. And then when you find out it's his brother, you Dude. understand their family situation. I mean, I re- really went on a journey with him. You hated the woman because of no, your because, hatred no, of no, women because, generally. Yeah, I made a point of not hating, you know, I, I think instinctively. He hated the woman, I hated but he her wouldn't the most, say, but I, I didn't want to be a misogynist. Right, right, you, hated right, right. Her, yeah. you hated her in spite of the fact that she was a woman. Yeah, yeah Exactly, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. I hated her in a feminist way. Sarah developed a, a very intense crush on the air traffic controller in Dubai. <gasps> he was one of the nicest looking people I've seen on screen in quite some time. Um, But with someone like that actor, my understanding is he's like, he's into his business and his yoga and he acts as well. Like, how do these people get found? um, We have an amazing casting director, Amy Hubbard. And one thing genuinely we really wanted to do, it wasn't always possible, but one thing we wanted to do was make sure all of the non-British roles in the show were cast authentically. Now, there's not a huge acting community in Dubai, and we wanted that character specifically to be a genuine Emirati man. And we were, I suppose, really lucky to find Mohammed, who plays that character. I've never been interested in Dubai because I've only ever heard it described as like the Vegas of the Middle East, which does not appeal to me. But his face alone (laughs) made me think... 
Dubai. <laughs> we should should we go? You know, you know we're married, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to ask on that on that casting. So when when a casting director has found people and then you're in a room doing auditions, how conscious of their feelings are you? Is is that one of your strengths? Are you particularly sympathetic, or are they like pieces of meat to you? I suppose I'm quite lucky in that I started out in comedy and started out acting, and so I'm able to kind of empathize with people and, and I suppose put them at ease as best I can. And what I always say to actors is you can't fuck up an audition. The only way you can fuck up an audition is just by not being yourself because you're not going to not get the job because of something you did or didn't do. You're either right for it or you're not. And that's completely out of your control. Because because of your own acting background, you find it very difficult to not just say to people like, say it like this. Like, do you want to give Idris Love Elba that. a line reading? I think that's my question. Has there ever been a moment where you'd be like, I got I to gotta just show this guy how to do this job? I suppose part of the skill of it is like having the patience to allow the person to arrive at the thing that you always knew you wanted <laughs> uh, and to not go, fucking say it this way. It's so obvious how <laughs> it's supposed to be said. Like was Idris already signed up or was he somebody that Apple had on a deal and they matched him with a project or did you have to pitch it to him? Uh Sort of a mix of all those things. George had mentioned the idea to Apple when it really was just a an idea. It was nothing. It was nothing on the page at all. And Apple kind of jumped at it. And as George started to write it, this kind of matchmaking thing happened, where it was like we've got this deal with Idris, and we think this could be a really perfect fit for him. And so as George was writing it, he started writing it for Idris, and then it was just one of those perfect marriages where. Idris read it and was like, I love this. And so where does the first meeting happen then? I actually can't remember. Um, <gasps> you remember the smell? A lot of phone calls. You remember being lifted? Yeah, I, just, I remember the smell, yeah. It's okay. a sort of Proustian, sort of Pavlovian <laughs> uh, response. I remember we did a big meeting one day and George just walked through every single episode with Idris kind of sitting in the middle of the room. And everyone doing that thing where they were trying not to look to see <laughs> why he just was thinking about everything. But George was really, really sick. And he only just got through it. And then he just kind of flumped down in a chair. He literally finished episode seven and then just fell into this chair. <laughs> it's a really, really labor-intensive show from a writing point of view because things have to be happening all the time. And in a regular drama, I think I'm sure you're aware of this thing of like, oh, you know, you've got to watch this drama. It takes three or four episodes to get going. And we couldn't have that in a real time show. You just have to be straight in. And then once you've started, you can't like let up at any point. I was in as soon as there was squabbling about the overhead bins for putting luggage in. And as soon as the the vicar's (laughs) trying to bribe the cabin crew to change seats. Jim, I have to tell you as well, because as we said, we flew yesterday. And listen, I don't know what you're planning for a sequel, but I'm going to pitch you on some shit that happened on this flight that we took last night, okay? A couple is walking down the aisle. They decide to ask a woman already seated to switch seats with them so that they can sit together, right? But they're asking a woman on the aisle to switch into a middle seat. Do you see it as hijack season two? It may not have enough conflict. Okay, okay. would <laughs> be my main note. All I'm saying is, is that I'm pitching you yeah. a story that's about people. Do with it what you want. I don't expect a cut, but I would like a credit and the thanks that come at I the like end it. of something. I okay, like it. Right. I like it. Okay, thanks. 
on on the sequel though, I mean, presumably when you go to Apple with an idea like this, they're asking about multi-season. I can't wrap my head around how you can do a sequel with it still being called Hijack. I think you've taken us into a world of organised crime that Sam Idris Elba's character has become embroiled with. But, I mean, they're not going to hijack the Eurostar, are they? Well, we just pitched it as a, as a limited series, a one-off idea, and everything we did in the way that we set it up and in the way that we wrapped up the story was designed to be a limited series. Now, clearly the show's been successful and... That's been amazing for us. Like it's been more successful than we hoped, and I think certainly you know there are loose ends in there, as you've alluded to, and I think there's a lot more gas in the tank for that character for sure. I feel but, like, so, but, but then does the title just, become an albatross around your neck? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, here's the thing: uh, George and I made a show called Criminal for Netflix, um, which is entirely set in. The interview rooms of a police station and one of our early jokes about hijack was that it was basically just criminal with wings in that it was let's take a really constrained setting and let's wring every last drop of possibility out of that setting and the show was constructed in such a way as like oh we're going to want to go to the ground and of course you do want to go to those storylines but in reality in the cut i was finding I was actually not wanting to cut away yes. from the plane. I was wanting to stay on the plane as much as possible. Yes, and, and it wasn't... And there's material on the ground that we removed massively. Yeah, and it wasn't claustrophobic. That was the strange thing to me. I, I, I mean, it would be very easy, I think, for a yeah, plane to feel too confined, and you, you got around that very well, I thought. Thanks. Yeah, that was that was definitely right at the front of our minds as we started to make it. It was like, how do we make the space and the camera work? Uh, but that plane is a scale replica of what it is it's like very very little cheating in there at all it's a real plane essentially that we built and the trick we pull in the show a lot is we travel with a character through the plane and you really just constantly reminding the audience there are 200 people in this space you know so that was just something we worked really hard on was keeping it intense but not feeling like it was um overbearing in terms of doing more of it i'm a sucker for punishment so i would always say you can't break the conceit of it and the moment you go Oh, do you know what? It's Idris Elba. The character of Sam Nelson's really interesting. What if we saw Sam Nelson, I don't know, like in a situation that isn't a hijacking? I sort of think, well, that's just a different show. And maybe that's a good show too, but that's not that's not our show. What about a cruise ship? Hijacking a cruise ship. <laughs> Sam takes a nice relaxing cruise after you know everything he's been through. <laughs> <laughs> you think filming on a plane is a is problematic. Filming at sea is probably the worst thing I've ever done. Ooh. Um, are there people that do Sam Nelson's job? Is that a real job? Yeah, he's a he's a corporate negotiator. George and I actually know people who do very similar jobs. Um, uh, it's obviously slightly dialed up for the show, but like he is a real thing. It's all about, as Sam says in episode seven, it's all about getting other people to sort of think like you think, or getting other people to believe that they want the same thing. And I suppose. What he learns in the show is that that is a bit of a trick, and it only only gets you so far. But you I mean, you, but yeah, it's a real job. But you're you're someone who's worked in uh, the entertainment business for a long time. You've had dealings with many many agents, I'm sure. How common is it to have that kind of emotional and psychically <laughs> just spat his tea out as I asked the question? How <laughs> how common is it to have that kind of emotional intelligence and uh, psychological awareness rather than just going in like a bulldozer? <laughs> Um, you know, I, I try and be sort of honest and open in, in all of my business dealings. There are also people who try and be very much like Sam and be in the kind of 
gamesmanship world of if I say the opposite of what I want and make them come round to the decision on their own, then they'll make it think like it's their uh, uh, idea. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question that, that, that Sarah's begged me not to ask you. But I, as we, I hope we've established okay. that we adored this show and couldn't get enough of it. I, I had but one problem. It was, you, you had Max Beasley, uh, who people will know from the brand new heavies. One minute he's in the countryside, <laughs> one minute he's in central London. I mean, what, what is he, teleporting? Th- yep. This is where I feel the real time went out the window a little bit. It's actually pretty closely timed. I'm really? actually proud to say it is, I think, if you actually broke apart the episode uh, and you sat there and you did the actual timings, you would find, yes, it's probably not possible to be in and, in and around some Aylesbury slash Watford, which is where, where when you say he's in the countryside, that's where he is. Um, you can get from Aylesbury to central London on blues and twos in like 25 minutes, 30 minutes in a high-powered BMW, which is what he's driving. And yes, of course, it's compressed slightly, but not as much as you might have felt watching it. And I had a few people say that, like, oh, how does this character get oh from there God. to there? And it's like, well, he's doing like 90 miles an hour on the A40. <laughs> if you're in a police car with blues and twos on, you can get from Aylesbury to Central London in, a, in about half an hour, 40 minutes. Okay, well, you know, I'm going to go um, back to it with a, a stopwatch and Google Maps, and then we can pick up this conversation another time. What I will say also is that there's been a lot of comparisons with 24, which I was a big fan of when it, when it came out. But when the first series of that came out, a lot of the criticism was around, oh, really, it's 24. When do you, you don't see Jack Bauer take a shit or eat a meal? And it's like, do you, do you want to see that happen? Like, <laughs> why do you want to see that happen? Like, it's a weird thing to ask for in a drama. Um, before we let you go, just a couple of quick questions. What is the piece of TV that made you start wanting to work in it yourself? Um, Creature Comforts, you know, the Argman animation series. And I think the reason you love stuff like that is is the characters. For me, the difference between TV and films is that TV is characters and film is story. And I've worked in both and I, and I love both sort of mediums equally. But the reason I think I've enjoyed TV more over the last sort of 10 years of my career is that I enjoy establishing a character, letting the audience kind of fall in love with that character and then, and then putting that character through hell, basically. At university, I really got into the West Wing. And I think that was one of the first times that I realized that TV could look like film. It's a very handsome show, you know. Um, it was the first drama I'd seen yes. that actually looked really handsome. Mm. A handsome uh, show. Which of your contemporaries are you in awe of? Um, obviously, I've enjoyed seeing what Jesse Armstrong's done and what him and Sam did previously with Peep Show, which is a fantastic show. Um my worst sin is that I actually don't watch much scripted TV. I can't separate the process of making it in my head from the process of watching it. So then if it's like, if it's a Wednesday and your kids are asleep and you're going to flop on the sofa, what do you, what do you do? Like you just like dick around a, online or what do you, how do you wind down? Uh, I listen to a lot of music. I, I'm a musician as well. So I play music and I'm a big runner. So I do a lot of running. Oh my God. Like Fuck you. Fuck um, you. <laughs> you're telling me that you wind down by going for a run. I was already annoyed yeah. when I I thought that you're like yeah. the person whose brain hasn't been ruined by their iPhone and you can just like sit and listen to music. But I kept my anger to myself oh, no, and then listen, I found out you run as don't, well. Don't get me wrong. No. Don't get me wrong. I, I do my fair share of doom scrolling. But um, people always say it to me, oh, what's your favorite thing on TV right now? And I'm like, no. drive to survive. So so if we're putting you down for a recommendation, is that what we should put you down for then? Drive to survive. Uh, <laughs> yeah, why not? 
wasn't that fascinating. And you know what I loved, maybe not the most, but a thing I really loved. I know what it was. It was uh, getting to find out what Idris Elba smells like. <sighs> no, but that was good. It was Jim's use of the word handsome. Mm. So when we spoke to Lucy Preble and she described Matthew McFadden's acting is expensive. And I can feel the word handsome. It's helping me think about things differently already. Like when I watch something and I'm like, oh, I like it because it's handsome. And I think he really liked my idea about a second series on a cruise ship. (laughs) It's time to pay someone a visit. Mr. Inbox, are you home? Hello. Hello, Mr. Inbox. Hello, everybody. You sound a little sleepy. I've just woken up from a long nap. And how are you feeling? Medium feeling. Why only medium, Mr. Inbox? I wanted two more Patreon supporters (laughs) so my mommy can start saving up for her surgery, please. (laughs) All right, I'm done. It gives me sort of a headache. All right, this first email comes from Sophie Harris, who says, Hi, FNN. The TV stroke movie trope I hate is the cut short phone call. It drives me up the wall when people put the phone down without saying goodbye. No one does that. I am not asking for the very British endless back and forth of buys, but just something. This is how British people say goodbye. Americans don't know this. And I would see a lot of stand up about it when I first started doing stand up. Okay, bye, 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 bye. Like it's Morse code. Yeah, 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 yeah. Americans don't do that. I've just thought of a trope that I really don't like. Go on. There is a situation in the show where the characters are watching a news item on the TV Uh about themselves. Maybe it's a kidnapping. Maybe it's a case they're involved in. Maybe it's the Roy's watching a story about Waystar Royco. Uh They never watch the end of the item. They watch the first couple of sentences and then turn it off. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't be watching a thing about yourself and not get to the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. We finally got you to criticise Succession. (laughs) Yes. In the end. Sophie continues, also, Slow Horses is great. We started watching it because my husband, Phil, loves spy stuff. And I thought, whatevs. But actually, it's brilliant. There's something kind of rompy about it. And it's cloak and daggery in the usual spy ways. But it's also really funny. Plus, the characters speak like normal people. Totally know what Jeff means about being put off by the name. But if it makes any difference to wanting to watch it, the spies are based at an HQ called Slough House, which I think is why they're slow stroke slough horses. Someone here is going to have to watch these slow horses at some point. There's been too much of it. Our next email comes from Claire Z, who writes, Dear FC and NC, I need to confess that I've spent all available income lately on shameless succession tailgating, but I promise I'll join your Patreon once my credit card hit feels much less ouch. I'm going to see the effect next week. So are we. Such fucking fans. Look at us having a night out at the theater. I know. Is there an interval? Of course. It's okay, written by Lucy okay. Preble. She's not an idiot, Jeff. Uh, oh my God. What if it turns out there isn't an interval? That would be terrible. No, she knows what she's doing structurally. Then it's not supposed to have an interval and the whole thing will be like an hour and a half or something. An acquaintance of mine contacted me via DM on Twitter a while ago to tell me that they were appearing in a West End play. And I replied, oh, is there an interval? And they didn't write back. Shut <laughs> up. 
Really? Yes. And I'm worried that I offended her. Well, then that's her fucking problem. Okay. okay. So she's going to see the effect next week and not so secretly hoping that Lucy Preble would be there. Of course. Um. Okay. So I've got tickets to Harriet Walter at the National in December. Happy Hanukkah to me. I'm trying to think if I've got a good Hanukkah song I can sing right now. Oh, this is my all-time favorite. Is it, I want a harmonica for Hanukkah? I know a lot of boys who got electric toys, but I got a harmonica for Hanukkah. Maybe a a West End theatrical (laughs) impresario will hear you and put you on the stage in a musical. I think I could get cast in a West End show. I continue to believe this. I'd come if there was an interval. (laughs) That's completely fair. And then, drumroll please, I spent every penny... I think she's got, I think you could spend three more pounds on our Patreon, but I respect you. On the extra weekend on call cash on Brian Cox. Woohoo! Opening night, baby. Listen, Claire, I love what you're doing for yourself. She continues, can you imagine how much I would lose my shit if Holy Alexander came to the West End? That would be amazing. That's someone I might show up actually to watch in person. I thought you were going to say that's somebody I might show up at the stage door. No. Do you know what? So this the one of the, the clubs where I am all the time. Mm. You, you're talking about in your work, not just hanging out around oh, the clubs yeah. with a the, drink in your hand. What one of the one of the clubs where I'm always dancing? No, no. One of the comedy clubs where I am at least once a week and probably like twice or three times a week is next door to Garrick Theater in the West End. And so I watch regularly people gathering at the door to get their playbill signer to get a photograph. And it's just sweet. And that, that could be you if Alexander Skarsgård came to the West End. Yeah, there are a couple people I would do it for, and Alexander might be one of them. Only because I think it would be very funny to get a photo with him. Which is, remember me. <laughs> with like a Sharpie in my hand. So you're with all the kind of people who hang around at a stage door, <laughs> and you're the one going, hey, it's me. Remember me. We did a Zoom call. Anyway, Claire continues. Me thinks it'd be enough to reverse me. Old early menopause. Do you feel like we should get Claire together with my mom? <laughs> This comes from Mike, who says, Hi, if you're not already using it, you might want to consider justwatch.com to help locate where programs are showing. That is incredibly helpful. It's not just Mike who emailed in about this. A few people did. Thank you, Mike. He also says, despite possible chauvinistic pushback, you could also consider adopting the American distinction of seasons and series for clarity. Can I just say I want to do this? And the only reason I don't do it is because so many of my countrymen have got a chip on the shoulder about Americanisms. Okay, a few more recommendations this week. We have from Chrissy. She recommended Wolf on BBC iPlayer. Chrissy, also a big fan of Mr. Inbox. Fred recommends Fisk. A lot of people have mentioned Fisk. Yes, I would say that is the show that people are saying we should watch more than any other at the moment. I feel like it's Slow Horses and Deadlock. Those are the ones where people are like, come on, you guys. Lizzie Pollitt, friend of the pod, recommends Josh. An iPlayer? Oh, from a few years ago, which I could be wrong, but I think David Schneider had something to do with that. He's a very funny man. It's Josh Widdicombe's sitcom. And from memory, it was a bit Seinfeld-ish. Certainly an intention. Sophie Harris. Again, we heard from Sophie, but we're separating out some of her straight wrecks for right here. Recommended Love Live starring Anna Kendrick. Which you're not going to watch because of your hatred of Anna Kendrick. My Anna Kendrick hatred means I won't watch anything she does except if she does another Pitch Perfect, which I would, of course, be on board for. And finally, Callum recommends Him and Her. I love that show so much. Yeah. It's the royal family of relationships. You're looking at me like you're fucking pleased with yourself <laughs> about that. Is why you should be... Okay, so this week we like to watch, or actually just you like to watch Painkiller on Netflix. 
60 pew what you what you Boys from the Black Stuff on Britbox. 30p. I want to be honest, but a cool kid. 50p, what oh, you want? Sarah. 50p, I know, really, but 50p, what you want? And just like that, HBO, Sky, and now TV. 100p, what you want? So, boys from the black stuff is 30p, what you want? Okay. 100p, what you want? Just like that, 100p, what you want? And only murders in the building on Disney Plus. 70p, what you want? Jim Field Smith like to watch. Formula One Drive to Survive on Zero Netflix. Zero P, watchy, watchy. And Creature Comforts, which I had a bit of a look around for. I will try uh, that website we've been recommended, but I could only find it on YouTube, but it is really good. Zero P, watchy, watchy. Zero P, you don't know what it is. Just because you haven't heard of something doesn't mean it's zero P, watchy, watchy. You can't question watchy, watchy. It's just what's in my heart. Okay. Okay, is that it? Are we done? Is there more? We're pretty much done. We should mention, actually, that we are going to Edinburgh, but it's not going to be our usual August experience of Edinburgh, where you you are having a minor psychological breakdown <laughs> through performing at the Fringe. Minor? I was trying to be kind. No, no, it's okay. I know. But we've been invited to be guests at the Edinburgh Television Festival. We're very fancy now. Yeah, I, th- I think it's primarily the television industry. I think it's their annual Baby, we conflab. Maybe we got industry people listening. Are you going? Are we going to rub our shoulders together with you? We have to plan our outfits. So we're still a couple of weeks off. I I think we won't be going until after next week's episode comes out, but we'll tell you all about it the week after. It'll be very exciting. Well, I'm very happy to be back in my house. You're a little less happy, but here we are anyways. We'll see you guys. Have a nice week. Go for a dip in a pool somewhere. Do some open water swimming. Why are you laughing? Someone should do open water swimming. It's August. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.